0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Andrew, as Robert said. This is my wife, Carrie, and I just want to start by saying thank you. We have been so blessed by this church, by you, and by your pastors and your leaders. They have invested in us and covered us and just helped us for almost a decade now. And God is doing amazing things in Seattle, and, and that's part of that is your inheritance. And so I just... If you didn't know that, you've got an inheritance in Seattle, and we just wanted to say thank you. We love you guys, and this you, you are family to us, uh, whether you feel that or not. We feel that. It's true. We're family. And this morning, I, I believe God wants to impart extravagant faith. It really is true that each one of you is called by God. You have a calling on God. Your life. And you know, God had a dream in his heart, and then he put skin on it. And that's you. And there's a calling. And I I just wonder that there may be some of you this morning, and you have a sense of that calling, you have a sense of that dream, but there's all these things in your life that you feel are preventing you from running after your calling. I just believe God wants to impart extravagant faith right in the middle of your circumstances so that you you can understand that the things you feel that are preventing you from your calling, they're actually what God's using to prepare you for your calling. They're they're actually, maybe even more than that, just in between services, they're actually um, things that God's using to propel you. Into your calling. And so I, I just believe God wants to release extravagant faith this morning. And and when I I used to think about extravagant faith, and I, I thought it looked something like this. I thought it looked like this big moment of faith. Where, you know, everything's on the line and, and there's sort of dramatic music playing in the background, and this is like the moment of decision, and, and we're gonna have extravagant faith in this moment. But after the past several years, God has taught me actually that extravagant faith is far more than one big moment. Extravagant faith is enduring faith. A- extravagant faith looks like not, not just will you believe God in the moment, but will you believe God week after week after week? Will you believe God year after after a year, right in the middle of everything that feels preventative, and I, I, I love Hebrews eleven. Many of you are familiar with this passage, the the, the passage of faith, the, the the extravagant faith chapter in the Bible, and and we find in that chapter it's it's like a hall of faith. All the heroes, all the big names. It's like a who's who, and I, I love reading Hebrews eleven, and I, I want to look at one of my favorite passages in that chapter. Uh, to begin with, chapter 11, verse 32. And, And so many names have been mentioned at this point. Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, David, on and on, and we pick it up in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. I love that. I mean, that is what I signed up for. Extravagant faith, right? Who who doesn't want to, to put foreign armies to flight? who doesn't want to quench the the power of fire who doesn't want to enforce justice stop the mouths of lions that is faith and i love that and it's inspiring what i what i what i don't love <laughs> is that in the very next verse in the hall of faith hebrews 11 Also mentions stories that have terrible earthly outcomes. They have terrible endings. It's so jarring. It's there's not even a verse break. Let's look at it. The very next verse, chapter eleven, verse thirty-five. It says, goes on to say, women received back their dead by resurrection. Come on. And then the turn. Some were tortured Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11 celebrates enduring faith, not earthly outcomes. You see, God doesn't promise the fleeting successes of, of the moment. Instead, he offers us the unspeakable joy of eternity. The the truth is, we aren't called to have positive outcomes in this life. Oh my goodness. Is that good news? (laughs) We aren't called to have positive outcomes in this life. We're called to finish the race. We're called to have enduring faith. We're called to have extravagant faith. Over the years, uh, God has given Carrie and I a few opportunities to have enduring faith and we wanted to share one of them with you this morning. I I wanna give you some background. 12 years ago, uh, Carrie and I went on a mission trip and on that trip, Carrie contracted a parasite that wreaked havoc on her body. After uh, years of regular hospital visits and pretty extreme sickness and a two-week visit to the Mayo Clinic, uh, the doctors concluded with this diagnosis. You're going to have these symptoms for the rest of your life. You're just going to manage them. And there's no way that your body will be able to carry a pregnancy full term. In this time, we we prayed and we had a conviction from God that Carrie would be healed and that she wouldn't just have one baby, that actually that she would have a clan. That was the word God gave us, a clan. So for a few years, we continued the hospital treatments every six weeks, and we began persistently praying and fasting that Carrie would be healed. And During during that time, uh, Carrie got pregnant three times and she miscarried three times. Long story short, God completely healed Carrie and she was able to have children. And so we had three kids in four years. I mean, that's just, we were just excited, (laughs) But in that uh, carrying and and birthing each child, truly each one um, was a was a very real battle. Each one for different reasons: uh, preeclampsia, emergency C sections, cancer, reconstructive face surgeries, uh, partial bowel blockages. It was real. And after after three kids. Uh, through all of that, Carrie's body was just, it was just a mess. And I'll never forget being in the operating room and we had had an emergency C-section for our third baby. And in the, in the room, the doctor leans over Carrie's face and gets right up in her face and says, no more babies. Your body can't handle it. It's too dangerous. No more babies. And I was angry at this doctor for her timing, (laughs) terrible timing. We just had a baby, and in that moment, I just she, she out of a good heart, she wanted to drive home this reality that we were to have no more babies. And so we went home and we prayed and we felt peaceful. Yes, that sounds like God. That seems like wisdom. Let's be done. No more babies. It, it wasn't long. It was it was a few months after that, even after that resolve, that God began to speak to me in different ways. That in fact. Um, he was going to give us another baby, that Carrie was going to birth another baby. And I just, I mean, I just rejected all of those words. I mean, I just tried to forget about them. I tried to laugh them off. I, mean, I, I remember there was a man with a heavy prophetic gifting who shared a word with me that we were going to have another baby. And I just laughed and said, man, you're, no, you're just missing it. You're not hearing God. But indeed, uh, a few months later, we, we found by total surprise um, that Carrie was pregnant. And we went to the first doctor's appointment, and the ultrasound showed that the pregnancy was completely hopeless. In fact, they, 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 they gave us no chance of life for this baby. And in, in that moment, they began to direct us to have an abortion. Uh, in short, just for those of you who love medical details, Uh, What what they explained to us was that Carrie's uterine wall had been so damaged and it was so thin that as it expanded with the baby, there would be no way that it would be able to hold the baby and it was certain to tear. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. The uterine wall would tear and in that moment we would lose the baby. The doctor's strong advice was to abort uh, and I remember asking what the options were and they said there weren't any options. You can terminate the pregnancy now or you can miscarry later. Now, my wife is uh, just an incredible warrior. She looks so sweet (laughs) and so kind, and she is. But inside, there's just an unwavering bulldog. And I, I, I I remember that conversation with the doctors, which we ended by saying, hey, let us go home for a day and pray. And we went home, and I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised when we prayed and Carrie said, I just believe God's calling us to have this baby. I believe he's calling us to carry this pregnancy. And that, that was the day uh, that we began practicing enduring faith. That was the day that God offered us a chance to trust him, to take him at his, his word. And during that season, I, very early, I remember God uh, just gave me this phrase to pray. And it was so simple but I remember shouting it, and I remember most of the time just whispering it under my breath all throughout the day. I remember a few times waking myself up in the middle of the night praying this prayer. It was this very simple phrase, healthy baby, healthy mama, build the wall. Healthy baby, healthy mama, build the wall. I was obviously speaking about the uterine wall. I said this prayer countless times, and although it was an incredibly challenging time, we, uh, we found Romans 15, 13 to be amazingly accurate in our lives. The passage says this May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Everybody say, in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So significant for us. You see, I think so often we crave the joy and we crave the peace so much that we actually stop believing. It's too hard to believe. I wanna feel good. I wanna feel peaceful. I wanna feel joyful. And so we walk away from what God's called us to believe so that we might find peace and joy. But what God's promises in Romans 15 is that it's in believing, it's in believing that the God of hope fills us with all joy and with peace. In believing. As we got further along, uh, the doctors were increasingly concerned. Uh, the 20 to 30 weeks of pregnancy was called the danger zone. This meant that the baby would be growing extremely fast, And it was just inevitable that during this time, Carrie's uterus would rupture. The the problem with the danger zone was that the danger became not just for the baby, but for Carrie's life as well. As the uterus got bigger, what they told us was that when her uterus ruptures, you, you probably won't be able to make it to the hospital in time. And so not only will you lose the baby, but Carrie will bleed out and she'll die as well. Now, we felt like the doctors were on our team, absolutely. But they knew the gravity of the situation. And so week after week, appointment after appointment, they would present the idea of termination. They, they cared about Carrie's life. They cared about our family. And I remember during that season when we'd realized this was this was not only believing for our baby, but this was believing for, for my wife. I remember this conversation. I'll never forget it. We were, we were driving and we began to talk about the reality of Carrie dying and we began to talk about the reality of her funeral. And and I remember Carrie saying this. She said, Andrew, if I die, people will be sad. If I die, Andrew, I, I know that you're gonna be sad. But please don't let my funeral be sad. She said, if I die because I believed God, then make my funeral a celebration of the God who's worth believing in. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do that. You know, we learn this important principle in this season of, we call it taking it to the end an extravagant faith, enduring faith. This has been extremely helpful for us to take it to the end. What do I mean by that? God doesn't promise positive outcomes. And so if you can, in your mind, if you're believing for something or hoping for something, if you can, in your mind, think of the worst possible outcome. See yourself not getting the thing that you desire. See the outcome going to the worst possible Outcome. And when you see yourself there and you can think about that, and you're, you've gone all the way to the end, ask yourself two questions. If I don't get the outcome I'm desiring, is God still God? And is God still good? And if you can take it to the end and see yourself without the outcome that you desire, and you can declare, yes. God is still God, and God is still good, then you can live free in the trial. You can be free. You can be free of the fear. You can be free of the control, free of the anxiety. You can run into the promises that you're believing, knowing that the character of God is not dependent on the positive outcome that you're desiring. Is God still God, and is God still good? Obviously, as we did this and God was filling us with joy and peace, it was also incredibly heavy, such a heavy time. And I, I remember the stress and it, it was just in God's timing. It was right in this season at the very beginning of, of Carrie's pregnancy that God also uh, gave us a spot of land in Seattle to purchase and begin to build our first building as a church. Awesome, God. Great strategy. It was, and I remember just believing for these two impossible things, the life of my baby and wife and this ridiculous building project. And one morning I was up very early and I'd gone to my office just to seek the Lord and to petition and to declare the promises of God. And I'm a yeller, right? I don't have quiet times with God. I just, it's just me. It doesn't have to be you, it's just me. And I remember being in my office. I love to get there when no one's there so that I could just let it loose. And I remember standing by a window, just declaring the promises of God, believing God. And in that moment, I, I had the clearest, the clearest vision that I've ever had from God in my life. Immediately as I was praying, I just saw two, two mountains out in front of me. And I knew exactly what they represented. One mountain was the baby and the other mountain was the building. And so I just began to shout at the mountains. Isn't that what the Bible says? Shout at the mountains. So I just began to declare the promises of God. And as I was shouting at them, the two mountains merged together to become one mountain. And I remember thinking, well, great, this is easier. so now there's one mountain, and I'm just shouting and declaring that it would be moved. Guys, in that moment, I mean, God came in the room. He met me there. And I remember it was as if he tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, Andrew, I love you so much. And I said, Thanks. (laughs) And then he said, You're doing the right thing. And I said, Yeah, thanks but you're doing it from the wrong perspective. And in that moment, I mean, it was, the vision began to change. It was like I, be, I began to float. And so I'm my eyes are still fixed on the same mountain, but now I'm rising and I'm, I'm even with the middle of it and then I'm even with the top of it and I'm, I'm getting higher and higher and then I'm looking down on the mountain. And then I get to that airplane view. Do you know that view? Same mountain, but it's it's way down there. And as I'm looking at it, the Spirit of God just says, Do it from here. I came out of that prayer time and I, I went over and picked up my cell phone, and Carrie had texted me while I was praying. It was it was one of these texts, you know, <laughs> the deep text. And in the middle of the text, she said, Andrew. I'm praying for you this morning, believing that God's giving you the higher perspective. As I wish, I wish I had time to tell you all the miracles truly uh, that God did along the way. I I just wanna share one. Um, One of the most amazing days in the journey was the day that we went to the doctor to find out that indeed her uterus had ruptured. What? Yeah, let me, let me take you into it. So we're there for an ultrasound, and the ultrasound went on way longer than normal. It was like an hour long. All these doctors are coming in and out, and they're pointing at all these things, and I have no idea what they're talking about. Have you been there? Like, ultrasounds make no sense. And we're, we're sitting there, and I'm trying to figure out, trying to understand, and we're in there. And finally, they bring in this team. They all seemed concerned. They keep asking Carrie, hey, are you feeling okay? She's like, yeah, I feel fine. They bring in this team of doctors, and they sit down with us, and they say, well, we have some news for you. Carrie's uterus has torn. It, is, it has ruptured, but it didn't tear in the place that we thought it would. The spot where it tore was right up next to where her bladder is sitting. And this was literally their words. And so the bladder is acting as a wall for the uterus. And I'm thinking, healthy baby, healthy mama. Build the wall. And the doctors are amazed. Like we've, we've never seen this before. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but we're thankful. Remember the, the end. Uh, after God had just done more than we could have ever asked or think, we we went in for the last day. The, we had a scheduled Caesarean Uh, after 35 weeks of of this pregnancy. And it was such a victorious time. I remember we had a few friends there and and a few leaders in the church that were there. And Carrie was laying on a hospital bed and they're about to wheel her in to have the cesarean. And it was in this moment that I saw the most extravagant faith I've ever seen in my life. We're laying in the bed. Lots of doctors and nurses are there. And they asked Carrie with a clipboard, one of the doctors says, Mrs. Bach, we need to get your consent to tie your tubes. During this C-section, we think it'd be a good idea to go ahead and tie your tubes. We don't think any more babies are a good idea. And I'm thinking, yes, that is the word of God. Let's get consent. Let's do this. And so the doctor looks at Carrie and says, may we have your consent. This is what Carrie says. Yes, yes. As long as when you get in there and open me up, you don't see that God has healed my body completely. What? I mean, I literally said, What? And the, the doctors were like, What? And Carrie says, We're only here because of God. God has done this. And I believe. God could completely heal my body by the time we go into that operating room. And if he does, I want to have more children. So if you get in there and open me up and my body's completely healed, I don't want you to tie my tubes. Doctor says, we'll just get consent in the operating room. Let's do that. I remember after Colette was born, they had a successful operation I was sitting right next to my wife, there was a curtain up, and from the other side of the curtain, I hear the doctor say, Mrs. Bach, may we have your consent? Carrie says, how do I look? <laughs> the doctor says, just like we thought. Yes, you may have my consent. I wanna show you a picture of our family as Carrie comes and shares with us.
1: I love this picture because Colette, that's our youngest in the pink dress and that is her personality. So if you can just imagine it, um, I love this story. This story isn't about me. It's not about any hardships. This story really just is the kindness of God. And every time I hear this story, it just renews my faith. It renews my faith for the mountains that we are facing now. And I just want to say that if you're listening to this story and you're like, man, what a story. I want you to know it didn't feel like a story in the moment. It felt like a mess. It was just a roller coaster of highs and lows. And so often we think the story is going to be made in a moment because of the culture and the society that we're raised in. But it's not a moment. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of just the grace of God pushing you back into him. It's a lifestyle of letting him be all that you have when you have nothing together. And as God was teaching us how to thrive in our weakness, one of the obstacles I kept on coming up against was that I started living from a place of expectation. And I think often as people of faith, or I started living from a place of entitlement. And I think often as people of faith, the line between expectation and entitlement is so thin. And so let me explain to you what I mean by expectation and entitlement. Expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Entitlement is a belief that one is inherently deserving of that future. And this sense of entitlement can look different from each of us and for each situation. And for sometimes in my life, what it looks like is, God, I just want to be safe. I'm tired. I just want to live comfortably. And God says, will you risk? Will you let yourself be stretched? Will you stand in the gap that you have no business to be in? And sometimes what my entitlement looks like is being frustrated when I don't see the outcome that I wanna see. And to be honest, one of those moments that I realized I was living in entitlement was at the 20 week ultrasound when we got the news that my uterus had torn. And everybody around me was rejoicing that the bladder had filled in the wall. And I was just thinking, God, I prayed that you would build my wall. I wanted my uterus to be healed. And God's so kind. And He just said, Dear one, are you living from a place of expectation or entitlement? Because I can build myself up and be like, I'm just living from faith. But then I have this frustration. I have this anger and disappointment and bitterness. And that, that shows me that it's actually become entitlement. And it's so tricky because they can look the same. Expectation and entitlement. And it's all about the posture of your heart and the posture of your hands in regards to the circumstance and the outcome. Sometimes we get the privilege and the glory stories of seeing the healing this side of heaven. And sometimes it's our privilege to see it on the other side when he's wiping the tears from our face. And the difference really is what Andrew said earlier. Is God God in your life? Is God good in your life? Or is He always on trial depending on your circumstance? Is God God? And is God good? You guys, this is His story. It's not our story, it's his story. Are you letting him write it? Are you demanding he write yours? We are called to be a people of faith. We are called to be a people of great expectation. And salvation, it's free. It's this generous gift that God gives that's completely free. But faith, faith costs. Any Bible character that you love for their faith, any person of God that you love for their faith, if you study their story, what you're going to see is them enduring. And it's not just blimps in the radar. It's 40 years in the desert. It's walking through fire. It's loss of comfort and security and family. Sometimes the loss of life. Salvation is free. But faith costs. And if you're choosing to believe in faith and then you don't see it happen, can you come back and land and say the cross is enough? If my outcome doesn't happen, God still is not on trial because the God because the cross is enough. Salvation is free, but faith it costs. A theme verse for me during this time was 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And during this time, this verse for me was so freeing. I personally love having it all together. I personally love being able to make my own way. And I was struggling during this time because I could give nothing. And I felt like God would bring me back to this verse and say, Carrie, You're just a jar. It doesn't matter how great we make our jars look, we're just jars. Let that free you this morning. It's not about your jar. It's about the treasure within that jar. And so often we get caught up in making it be about our jar. And it was never meant to be about our jar. And I wanna say something this morning. In those moments when I felt like I was losing it, that my weakness was just on display for everyone around me to see, and I would try to hold it together, I would hear him whisper to me and say, Carrie, what if, what if your breaking is re- releases the treasure? Church, it's okay to break. We don't like being broken in this society, in this culture, we want to keep it all together, but church, it's okay if you break. It's okay if you actually hit that wall. It's okay to break. And what I don't want you to hear me say is that your pain doesn't matter. It absolutely does. Your pain and your trials and your hardships and the sin that's been done against you, it matters and I'm so sorry. And God's so much bigger. His grace is so much greater. And this, it truly isn't your story. It's his. And God would remind me during this time that he had something for the people around me. When I wanted to get self-consumed with my grief, he would say, lift your head up. See the doctors and the nurses and the people in the waiting rooms and the people in the NICU. There's people in this place that need to see the treasure. Your pain actually creates unique doorways for you to be able to walk into the lives of other people that others of us can't. Will you let your pain and your suffering not be an obstacle but actually be a propeller into the presence of God that releases his presence and his glory and the treasure to those around you. There are so many stories in here. I don't know your stories, but I know this. This is supposed to be the tagline and the summary of your life. The kindness of God. When you die, or when you're on your deathbed, what you're supposed to see is the kindness of God. It's actually not supposed to be a sin. It's not supposed to be something done against you. It is the kindness of God on your life. I used to be a runner. I used to be decent, and then I had four kids, and now I jog. And as a runner, when I used to compete, the runners who always won were those who sprinted at the end. Guys, don't you want to be a people who sprints the end? Don't you want to be a people who sprints the end? I want to live with a people. I want to be a person. I want to raise a people who sprint the end. And by the grace of God, this isn't our last story. And this, whatever stories you've been through, they won't be your last story. We all know those people who have the stories of the goodness of God, and then five years later, you're like, where are they? But by God's grace, if his character isn't always on trial, but is on display, then in 50 years, you'll have more and more stories of the goodness of God meeting you in the impossibility. And you'll have more and more stories of God comforting you in the midst of the pain. I want to end reading Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. It says it this way. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, He enables me to tread on the heights. Your room of yet people. Whether you believe it or not, there is a grace today to be a room of yet people. For every circumstance and situation that has happened, you are not victims. You are overcomers. You are a yet people. The wind and the rain, it will come. But he remains. Life and, enemy will, and the enemy will tell you otherwise, but you are a yet people.
0: Why don't we stand up? Let's stand up together. <clears throat>